all the way through verse 14 through 19. And it's this idea, continuing the thought of the problem that happened last week. And now there's, there's a situation here that, that Nehemiah gets confronted with again. And we're going to kind of jump into this. Let's read this together, verse 14 through 19. It says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, which is 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of, ev- out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Verse 16 says, Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, Nehemiah says, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on what? On the people. And it says in verse 19, Remember me with favor, O my God, for I have done, for all I have done for these people. You see, like a good leader, he's going through and and, and we see that, that Nehemiah, like that good leader, he goes through and he's recognizing there's a problem. We kind of pinpointed that um, throughout the last weeks, the problem of rebuilding the wall. But here is kind of a problem internally with, with people around him. And Nehemiah is confronted with, what am I supposed to do here? And he, when he's going and presenting this information to the people, he says, basically, he says, I want you to know that I'm not calling you to do anything that I'm not already doing myself. I'm not, he says, I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done myself, so don't think that because I'm the leader here that I don't have to walk the walk as I talk the talk. He is, he's trying to lead by example and do the right thing. He isn't trying to use political speech. I like this. When I, when I read this and studied this, he isn't trying to do this to gain any sort of political advantage with the people because what you actually find out is that the governor of this land, is which he will be, was actually appointed from the king, not the people. So he's not trying to gain any sort of political clout by saying what he's saying, and he's not trying to toot his own horn and say, hey, guys, check this out. You know, I didn't, I didn't take anything that, that, you know, that, that I, I shouldn't have or couldn't have. He says, I didn't take those things because I knew that it wasn't right that all of this, this hardship would be put on the people. And it's important. Now, it says in the text, uh, I think you've probably seen it in verse 14, that this is actually happening, his tenure is a 12-year span. So, he's, he's a leader, and you see all of this is talked about today is in the context of 12 years. So, this isn't just like, you know, he just took the position, and he's not a newbie on the job. He's been doing this, he's been, you know, in country for 12 years doing this job. There's a lot of things going on here. You, when, I, when I go through this, and this whole book is just packed full of, like, of life and leadership principles uh, of this whole book. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I really like this book. But one thing that we see is, yes, he was a man of wealth. He was a man of wealth. 
But more so, he wasn't about himself. He was about caring compassion for his people. Which, for us, in, in, in me saying, hey, the, in, in helping you to maybe realize that we're more wealthy than what we really think we are. But for us, what I'm, I'm trying to center this around is for us to simply think. Is to think that maybe all the information that we're presented through media and through friends and, and all the other places where you're influenced, maybe they're not actual reality. That we are wealthier than what we think we are. And, and make you think of what we're supposed to do with what God has given us. Now, it says in verse 14, right at the forefront, it says, Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. You see, he was allotted this great spread all the time. He could have had all this, this a mass amount of food. He was in charge. He could have done all these things. He could have seen to it that he imposed all these things. But he says, neither I nor my brothers ate the food at the lot to the governor. He says, I didn't want you to think that I was entitled to more than I'm, what I'm really entitled to. Now, remember last week, he was, this is all in the context of he's talking to his people and he's talking to his people because they're charging interest to their own folks. Because the king, remember the king, he's, he's trying to get his, he's trying to get his money. And he doesn't care that people can't afford it. So what, he, what Nehemiah is confronted with is his own people trying to, to tax and, and to recoup the tax from the king through all this interest. And the people, remember that they were actually losing their, their family members to slavery trying to get back this money. So there's, there's big problems here, and I think that's the reason why Nehemiah would add this. He says, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. He says, I want you to know that I understand there's a problem, and I'm not just standing here saying what you need to do without doing it myself, because I realize there's a problem. He knew that, that what was going on in, in their world was important, so he wanted to, as much as he could, is to place himself, embed himself into their situation as a good leader should. Now, this it, it, first reading, it sounds like this is like political, you know, speaking out of both sides of your mouth like a political kind of jargon, but it's really not because as we unpack that, we've kind of seen that, that Nehemiah goes through and he realizes that there's a problem. He embraces the problem. He wants to try and fix it. And what is the... What is kind of the, the, the deeper truth that we find here? The deeper truth is that Nehemiah is, is doing what he is wanting the people to do. He's already doing it. So when he brings the information to the people, he says, you know what, I've already been doing this for 12 years. I haven't been eating the food that's allotted to me. I've been paying for it out of my own pocket. So I'm already, I'm already invested in this thing, in this vision thing, in this work. And he says, I want you to know that the story is really bigger than us. And it's, it's kind of like, I guess this, this kind of busts into the, the idea of sacrifice. For him, sacrifice was a way of life. Sacrifice was a way of life. He was like, you know what? Obviously, he wasn't getting paid or eating what was allotted to him for 12 years he had some cash, okay? He was wealthy. He was loaded. However you want to say it, he had, he had a lot of money. But notice that he didn't use it as leverage in trying to gain power over the people. He was actually trying to do what? 
is trying to live sacrificially in, in, to live the life that he's calling the people to live and to sacrifice. What do we have... Is there any deeper truth that we have to do here as far as living sacrificially within our family? There are many times in our life that we have to sacrifice for those in our family, don't we? We see that, yes, this is a leadership principle of sacrificing, and that's true in business. But for us, we have to walk the walk as we talk the talk around our kids, don't we? If you call you know, your kids and you, you ask your kids to do something, whether it's sacrifice something or a way to act or maybe a way to talk or do something like that, if you ask your kids to do something but yet you do the very thing you're not asking them to do, you're being a hypocrite. This is the same thing that Nehemiah is going through and he didn't want to prove to be a hypocrite. So when we're around our family whether it's our our close family, make sure that that your life is consistent with your words. Make sure your life is consistent with your words. When you're around your neighbors and, and maybe they know you go to church and maybe they go to church somewhere, just make sure that your life, what they see, is consistent about what you believe. Just be consistent like Nehemiah was. You know, kind of something that's kind of seeped into into our culture is this idea of entitlement. That somehow, somehow, maybe it's through upbringing. I mean, the way I was brought up is that you work as hard as you can because the only way that you're going to get anything in life is if you work as hard as you can. And then the harder you work, the more you get, right? And then you work harder and then you do what? You get more. That is a blatant lie. Is it not? That is a blatant lie. I mean, I was taught that. Yeah, it teaches you work ethic, and it teaches you. It's almost just like, you know, the, the, the rabbit trying to chase the carrot kind of thing, and it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. The, that isn't the reality. Yes, we're supposed to work, and, and we're not entitled to much. But somehow, somehow, through, through our sin nature, we think that we're entitled to something. We think we're entitled to, to a bigger house where our neighbors have a bigger house. We deserve a bigger house. They drive an SUV. I drive a station wagon. I deserve an SUV. You're not entitled to that. You're not. Because it isn't a matter of, yeah, we're supposed to work. We're supposed to provide for our family. Absolutely. We're going to unpack why that is here in just a minute. But we're not entitled to much. And in youth today, this is... This is almost, this is scary with, with the youth, and speaking to the teenagers specifically. A lot of times people, what you see from TV is they, is they glamorize all these people who have all this wealth. And then for some reason in the back of your mind you think, you know what, I deserve that rock star mentality. I deserve to be, to be known, and I deserve this, and I deserve that. All of that is because you have a sense of entitlement, which is not of the Lord. It's not because we're not entitled to much. In the business world, sometimes that as people become wealthy and, and really profitable in the business world, they think that they're entitled to, to more than what they really should be. Have you ever heard of a company called Enron? How'd that work out for them? They thought they were entitled to a lot, didn't they? And then basically all the walls came crashing around that company. It's because... For some reason, and that, and that we feel that we're entitled. There's this, there's this mentality of men specifically that men, I don't know where this even comes from, but, and I'm not saying it, it's necessarily any of us, but there's this, this mentality that, that I'm the man. 
So if I'm the man of the house, then I'm entitled to be able to come home, take my boots or my shoes off, and to go sit in the lazy boy, and then my wife is supposed to cater to me, and everybody needs to hover around the throne. Sorry, that's not reality. But unfortunately, I've known people, and you probably have that person's mind, or that, that person's name in your mind right now, who maybe grew up, that, that, that grew up with that same mentality, and that they were entitled to something. As men, we're not entitled to much. If you look in Scripture, you're entitled to be a servant, to love and to lead your family. That's what you're entitled to. Look in Ephesians. It's there. That's what you're entitled to. You're entitled to serve, not to be served. But there is a special place in the home. Sometimes, you know, we, because of these entitlements, let me unpack some truth just a little bit. If you look into Genesis 3, don't flip there. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to go there briefly. You're not going to want to dwell on this any more than, than what I share with you right now. I'm going to tell you what you're entitled to from Genesis 3, okay? Women. Speaking to women specifically. Women, here's what you're entitled to from Genesis 3. It's going to hurt when you bear children, right? And now, I believe the Word of God is true, and, and I've experienced this, and, and unless my wife is like the best actress ever, I think it's for real, you know? It's going to hurt when you bear children. We're entitled to that. It's in Scripture. You're entitled to it. Happens with all of us. Every, every, every person who bears a child, it's going to hurt. Some things you can look for is pain. It's a pleasant thought, I know. Now, if you also look in Genesis 3:17 and 18, it says what men are entitled to. Now, this will really brighten your day, right? We're entitled to work hard, sweat much, and die. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what we're entitled to. It didn't say anything about a bigger house or... I didn't, let me look close. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. That's what we're entitled to. So for us, anytime that we have this, this mentality of sense of entitlement, I want you to go back to Genesis 3. That's what we're entitled to. And everything we, that we receive beyond that is what? A gift. Everything is a gift. All right. Nehemiah knew that this whole sense of entitlement thing was an issue, so he kind of unpacks it further. Go to verse 15 to 16. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All of my men were assembled there for the work, and we did not acquire any land." Wow. See, I'd mentioned this earlier. The Persian king actually appointed Nehemiah. So you see that the things that the people were entitled to, in verse 15 it says, the earlier governors, those preceding me, they placed a heavy burden on the people. Why? It wasn't because they weren't trying to gain any, any sort of political clout with the people. They didn't care. Because the Persian king would actually appoint the governor. So the people had no say-so about what was going on. They could be absolute tyrants. But what does Nehemiah say? What does he say? He says, in here, he says, They placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver and da-da-da-da-da and lured it over the people. But he says, but, I, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. He says, I know what people have done in the past. He says, but I'm paving a new way. I want them to see, see a leader, a godly leader of doing something different than what the people had done before. 
He says it isn't a matter of what has happened in the past. It doesn't matter those, the way other people act around you of what your experience level is. That us, even as followers of Christ, we're called to live to a higher standard. And he says, I'm sacrificing for the people. I know I'm entitled, quote unquote, to more than, than what I'm getting, but I don't care. So he's, he's funded his own, his own work. He's funded his own life. He funded all the food that went on his table for the last 12 years. He was bought into to the vision of rebuilding here. It wasn't lip service. It wasn't lip service. He'd done it for 12 years. 12 years is a long time. Who in here could go without working for 12 years? That's a long time. Many of us would go broke after two weeks. But let's take this to, to a, a more personal level. And the scripture is going to be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. That's what the word says. It says... So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God, that being the gospel. He says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove what? Oh, this hurts. Faithful. That we have to be proven faithful. We have been given. We have, if you have received Jesus Christ and you have, you've accepted him into your life and you've repented of your sin and he's cleansed you of that sin then we have been given a trust and we understand that everything that we have into our life has been entrusted to us from the creator of the universe. So now we are responsible for all the things that God has given us. And that is why it says, at the end of that, he says that we must prove faithful with the trust that we've been given. We have to be faithful. Not only do we have to be personally faithful with, with the wealth and the things that we've been given, which I want to touch on, that obviously we need to be good stewards of, of the money that God gives us. And also, He doesn't want our money to, to control us. He wants us to be able to control the money. Do you all understand that? There's a big difference there. But then also, He goes through and He says, as us, as being followers of Christ, He says, we need to, to be faithful in the trust of the gospel that has been given to us. So he expects us to be carriers of the gospel to our communities and to the world around us and to our neighbors and to our family. We have to be, we must prove faithful with the trust of the gospel that God has given us. And I don't know if we've always done that. But I think if you want to be faithful with the trust of the gospel is to think, create, think of creative ways to share the gospel. Think of, of ways that are relevant to the place that you live, wherever that God has placed you, to be relevant to those people and sharing the gospel. And that kind of speaks in, I guess, methods, and maybe the, the methods that, that God would use to bring the gospel to people. We have to be relevant with those things. We have to be, we have to be faithful with the trust that we've been given, and that includes the gospel. We've been... We've been given much as a country. We've been given so much. I was looking at some, at some graphs and of, of world poverty, and I'm not going to give you all that information, but it was just so interesting because it kind of had everything broken into continents. And, of course, you know, the, the continent of Africa and all of that, that would have, like, the, on, on the graph was, like, most of it, and then it was kind of broke up. But then, like... With the United States, it was just like a sliver, you know? I mean, if it, were, if it were a piece of pie, you wouldn't even be able to taste it. It was like paper thin, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, we have it so good as a country. We live in the best country in the world. We live in the best country 
not only of the world today that has ever existed. I believe that. I hope you do too. And we, we as being in this country, because we've been given so much and entrusted with so much, that God, God demands things of us. And he demands that we use our wealth, that we use the things, the trust that God's given us to use it wisely, to care for others who are poor and hurting the same way that Nehemiah was, to care for the poor and oppressed like we touched on last week. But go to verse 17. We're going to kind of see a couple other things. Verse 17 says, Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Now, two things you see from this verse. Hospitality is a big deal. Hospitality in our day and age is a big deal too. Our culture is getting farther and farther and farther away from hospitality, which I think that is more of a a Christ-centered mentality of living in community, which is why we push small groups, that we meet around tables, that we meet in living rooms and we share the gospel and we talk about scripture and we share our lives with people. That is very much a spiritual thing. And it's very much here that... That Nehemiah, his, his work is centered on hospitality. The other thing is we see this is a big stinking table. 150 people. I mean, that would be amazing. That is a big table. But he funded all this. How, let me ask you this question. How did he fund all this? Out of his own wallet. He funded this, this all by himself. That he bought into it so much. For us today, connecting this to our vision as a church, there, there are going to be times where we have, to, we have to sit back and as we think creatively of where, the way we're going to share the gospel, but there are going to be times where we have to sit through and we have to say, wow, how could we as a church, how could we broaden our horizons and think of different ways to be, to be faithful with the gospel that we've been given, but, but to share the gospel in, in creative ways to bring people into your life and into this fellowship. Because the thing is, the whole vision that, that we're kind of unpacking with DBC right now is very much centered on what's represented in these cards. I've said this many times. I'll probably say it 